Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, how's it going? You were traveling last week. What did you get up to? Any good drinks or movie watching going on? I did get up to a couple of things. So I started watching The Flight Attendant mm-hmm. for the for the first time. Um, I know it was up for Golden Globe and I was really excited because it's got Kelly Cuoco from Big Bang Theory. I'm hoping mm-hmm. I say her name right. And I don't know what I was expecting, but so far I'm really enjoying it. Um, I think that uh, if you like comedies that are kind of... Um, I I say, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a dark comedy kind of thing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely very dark. I wouldn't say it's for kids, uh, for sure. Um, not for kiddos. But I really like it so far. I'm halfway through the first season, so I I don't know I don't know where it's going, <laughs> but I guess yeah. that it's kind of a whodunit. Um, and I love that you know the only thing not the only thing you have to really um be in that world and not in the real world because she is a flight attendant and flight attendants don't make a lot of money, but she's got like the most fabulous wardrobe. So if you're interested in like costuming, I think that you should check that show out just for the costuming because she looks amazing and um, all of her choices are really good. So um, yeah, Uh, but I watched that. What did I picked up some wine that had been staying in the hill country of Texas for a while. Um, (laughs) That was good. Um, yeah, yeah. So I got, I got to sample some of that and, uh, you know, oh my gosh, this dreamsicle drink. So great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dreamsicle. That was our sunny D recipe that we did on the lobby bar this week. So definitely go give that a listen too. If you haven't, uh, check that one out and give it a try, but yeah, I mean, picking up wine, that's always a good time. So what did I get up to this weekend? So I made myself a martini, which is always delicious, and watched Coda. And everyone should go and watch Coda right now because it's amazing. It's so incredibly good. Um, You definitely should check it out. So that is on Apple TV+. Plus. And uh, you should, if you don't have that, you probably should, because that's also what Ted Lasso is on. So go get Apple TV plus immediately um, and watch Coda and then catch up on Ted Lasso. But yeah, Coda was really, really good. Was it? I'm so excited. It's on my list and I know it was coming out. I think it Mm -hmm. just came, it just released. um, Yeah. Just in the last couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about it. So um, yes, that's going to, that's going to make my list this week. For sure. Yeah. And it's uh, it's probably a, a good pick on something to uh, get into if you're uh, starting to think about uh, what might be going the uh, Oscar direction, because uh, I was thinking as I was watching it, I was like, this a little too early in the year for Oscars. But no, because it's already almost September. So, no, it is. In fact, September through the rest of this year is really the Oscar season for viewing. They usually, you know, Last year was kind of the exception because we had the Oscars so much later in the year, but they usually uh, will announce who the nominations are in February. And so if you're like us and you watch every Oscar film 
ever made. <laughs> um, you want to have done some of that uh, beforehand so you're not watching 110 films in about three weeks time. So um, yeah, no, it's a good idea. In fact, there's tons. Vanity Fair, I think, has put out um, a pre-pre-Oscar kind of uh, recommendation list already. There's a bunch of lists out there uh, for you know what to look at this fall. Which yeah. will be really good, really good to see because we might all be going back on lockdown again sometime soon. So um, it'll be good to have a list of things to watch. Yeah, you'll need to catch up on it, but uh, start with Coda because it's amazing. So watch that. And, you know, other than that, you know, drinking martinis and watching good movies. I've just been thinking about like this time back in high school and this girl that I loved, she got into some trouble. I had to get to the bottom of it and enact my revenge against these guys. Uh, but, you know, I didn't have much to go on. She only gave me some a uh, couple of simple clues. Uh, brick, bad brick, tug. Well, mm, tug could be a drink like milk and vodka kind of thing. That sounds good. Let's uh, let's think on that. We should solve that crime. We should solve that problem. Yeah. OK, well, that sounds good. Why don't we uh, take a quick break and we'll uh, see what we can do with some milk and vodka and we'll be right back. So this week's cocktail comes from bonappetit.com, which sounds very fancy. Mm -hmm. And the title of it is a crystal clear milk punch. Absolutely. Uh, this is definitely the most involved drink I think we've ever done. Um, because it, it, in order to create the cocktail, you first have to create milk punch, mm -hmm. which I had never done before. And it's kind of a misnomer because it's supposed to be crystal clear, but it doesn't really get crystal clear. So if you make this... Um, and it doesn't, it's not super clear like water. Don't, don't fret. You're doing it right. Um, but yeah, this was a much more involved recipe that you worked on tirelessly all week. Yeah, it has kind of a, I mean, it is pretty clear, it, but it does still have like a little bit of a yellowish tint, at least this particular recipe. But, uh, yeah, you're going to need some stuff and this makes a ton of this stuff. So, uh, I'm going to give you the amounts that came from the article and, the, uh, this is what I made, but if you wanted to do this, I would definitely kind of maybe cut it by like, by like a third and do like <laughs> one third of this. And that's, that's going to be enough to get you, you know, several cocktails out of this. But uh, so basically what you do to make this clarified uh, milk punch is you take three cups of brewed black tea, three cups of lemon juice, three cups of orange juice, one cup of simple syrup, one cup of vodka, and you mix all of that stuff together in like a pitcher or like a big jar, big container. And then you take three cups of whole milk and you bring that up to a simmer. So about 200 degrees, you know, just shy of boiling. And then you pour the milk inside of it and immediately the milk starts to coagulate. Uh, so I'm not a chemist. I don't really know the inner workings of this, but I think the high acid from the lemon and the orange juice basically makes the milk kind of curdle. And then the the black tea, the tannins in that like latch onto it and makes it separate out and it makes it this, you know, clear uh, milk punch. So that's how you make that bit of it. So, you know, if that sounds terrible, uh, you know, that's, that's fair. It's fair to think that that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't, it's interesting. Cause when I saw the ingredients, I was like, this is going to be another one of those drinks where we try it and hate it. And, um, and with the pictures that we post, you guys are going to see, um, Brian did a great job making this up and it doesn't look great when the, when the milk is kind of curdled in mm -hmm. this big pot, it looks really not, not tasty at all, <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, yeah, 
so I made this. So once you're done uh, and the recipe, it says to do it for like one to 24 hours. So I did, it was about 20 hours. I think I left mine. Um, and then I strained it, you know, several times through like a fine uh, mesh strainer. And then also through some cheesecloth a couple of times to really clear it up. And then um, you do still get some sediment on it. So you want to kind of, you know, pour it or ladle it off of the top to, you know, just get the, the clear part. And if you just taste this on its own, it's very, it's very acidic. It's very sour um, from all that lemon and orange juice. Um, so I didn't know what to think about it. I'd never made uh, this before. Um, it was something I definitely wanted to try because I'd seen it in other cocktails, but I wasn't sure what to think about it. Uh, just this, but I had, so I had to wait until Michaela and I got together to put the cocktail together. Uh, Michaela, why don't you run through? Uh, it's, it's very simple uh, after, after you make that. So, yeah. So after you go through all the, uh, the week long or, you know, 24 hours of mixing and, and then cheese clothing, uh, the cocktail itself is just two ounces of this clarified milk punch and one and a half ounces of vodka, which sounds a lot like a lot, but you um, fill a shaker with the, these ingredients, you shake it till it's real frothy. Um, it's gotta be really, really cold. And then you pour it into a, a rocks glass that has ice in it to keep it even colder. And I think a couple of things happen here. Again, I'm not a scientist, but I think the water, um, you know, kind of reacts with the milk punch and kind of evens out the flavor because while it mm -hmm. is acidic, it ends up not tasting super sour and, and it's in it. And when you say sour, we really mean acidic, acidic, not like sour milk, sour. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes nothing like sour milk. So don't think that, but, um, yeah, so that, so you, you just pour it in, make sure that it's already very cold when you've shaken it in your shaker and then you should be good to go with some ice. Yeah. And, uh, I have to say this was, this was pretty good. It's, it kind of, when you're first drink, it kind of just tastes like a vodka and lemonade because it's very lemony, um, you know, and orangey from that clarified milk punch. But yeah, as the ice kind of starts to melt, it uh, gets these flavors and it's, it's much more, you know, complex than just a regular uh, lemonade. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I'm interested to try some other milk punch recipes. I don't know that this is my favorite of them, but I'm glad to have made it and tried it. And yeah, I'm pretty happy with the way that it turned out. Well, now you have 16 more, you know, mason jars full of this stuff because of the I recipe yeah. that we chose. So we have a lot of experimenting that we can do. I, at first, the very first sip, I thought that this was probably one of the least favorite drinks I ever had uh, in the history of Drink the Movies. Yeah. Um, but after, again, after the water, uh, you know, it kind of melted, the, the ice kind of melted a little bit it got to be really good. And by this, by the end of it, I wanted a whole other drink. So then I spent the rest of the night drinking more of these things. So it's something that I think definitely grows on you. If you mm -hmm. don't love it, the first couple of sips, your body's probably just trying to get used to the acidity, but, um, it's got a really interesting creaminess to it, mm -hmm. um, which I liken to the milk, but again, it's pretty clear. Like it's not crystal clear, but, um, it's, it's so weird that this was made from milk or that milk was one of the main mm -hmm. ingredients. It's very strange, but I think it's really cool. I definitely, I, we're going to call it the tug because uh, yeah. tug sounds like milk and vodka and it's um, yeah. And it, it's definitely a punch. And if you uh, have seen the movie brick, which is the movie we're going to deep dive into today, you'll know that tug was um, definitely a puncher. 
Yeah, that's right. So uh, let us know if you have any other uh, good clarified milk punch recipes, because we'd like to hear about them. Or if you try this out, let us know. But, uh, you know, a day's worth of, uh, you know, getting some milk ready to go. I think we're ready to drink these and take a quick break. And we'll be right back to talk about this week's movie, Brick. Spoiler warning for Brick. If you've not yet seen the movie Brick, don't fret. There's plenty of ways to do that. Press pause. Go watch it. You might want to put the subtitles on so you can understand what's going on because it's real complicated and come back and we can chat about it. Yeah, that's right. It is a, it is a bit complicated. We're going to do our best to uh, get through this and uh, make it make sense. But Brick came out in 2005 and it was directed by Ryan Johnson, who is, uh, as everyone knows, directed The Last Jedi in Star Wars uh, franchise. He directed Knives Out uh, and, uh, you know, got some Oscar love for that. And then, uh, is, you know, currently uh, working on Knives Out 2, I believe. So uh, Ryan Johnson, good director, good uh, start from here. And this one stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Lucas Haas. It sure does. Um, so this movie came out, as you said, in 2005. It was written and directed by Ryan Johnson. And mm-hmm. although it did not win any Oscar accolades or even nominations, I definitely think that if any of our listeners have not seen this and they are huge screenwriter fans of really good screenwriting they need to see this film um it's amazing as far as the script uh it's very much kind of a hard-boiled film noir i guess they're calling it a neo-noir because it's set in 2005 in Mm -hmm. like a, a high school in california it's very different than anything I've seen Joseph Gordon-Levitt do before um I think that this was after he did Mysterious Skin which was also really kind of dark um and Mm -hmm. you know kind of the same kind of gritty vein um so it's uh it's not won a bunch of accolades around the Oscars but it has won a ton of film awards um in in the years like it, it was a, a I think it won the spirit award for Sundance Film Festival it's won a mm-hmm. bunch of different things and it's really become a cult classic so if you've not seen it um you should <laughs> because yeah it's yeah it's it's definitely an interesting take on like you said on this uh film noir kind of thing you know setting it in this high school with these high school kids but um why don't we get into this and uh you know being a noir film there's a lot of uh misdirection and things we're gonna you know, make our way through this and uh, do our best. But the film starts and you'll see uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character there. His name is Brendan. He's kind of kneeling down in this like kind of like drainage tunnel sort of thing. Uh, There's a girl there. Uh, She appears to be dead. And then uh, you'll see like someone sticking a note into a locker, like it cuts to this. And then uh, you get the title brick. And that's how uh, the film kind of gets started, right? It, It, basically is you know giving away the plot right there at the beginning and then we uh go back in time right so two days previous to this and you see uh brendan open in the locker the note falls out uh he opens it up and it says to uh meet at such and such an intersection at, i think it is like at 12 30 um and then it cuts to him being at this intersection and the uh telephone and the telephone booth is ringing and uh it's this girl uh emily calling him up Yep. Emily Kostich. Uh, apparently they uh, were a thing at one point because the conversation is real awkward. Um, he's like, how are you? What's going on? And she's like, I'm fine. And she's like sounding like she's about to cry. 
And then she asks him for help and he says, what's going on? And then she utters this string of dialogue that uh, the first time I heard it, I had no idea what was happening. Um, I think I saw this in the theater uh, and I, I was completely uh, floored. I had no idea what was going on, but she talks real fast and she says things in a very, th this whole movie is done in kind of this hard boiled detective esque kind of way and so mm -hmm. she's using she's talking about a brick and how there's a pin and there's there it frisco there's a poor frisco in there somewhere and she thinks that she's going to get blamed for something and and then she just uh sees a car coming down this highway apparently she can see uh, Brendan, where he at, is at at this phone booth, which is very not 2005, it's very 1995, but whatever. Um, so she can see him and she sees this car coming down and she freaks out and hangs up the phone. And it's this really loud black sports car that mm -hmm. is going down this empty road. And um, a, the driver of the sports car flicks a cigarette out and so Brendan kind of hops out of the phone yeah. booth and mm -hmm. picks up the, or he looks down at the cigarette because it's half smoked and he's looking for uh, Emily. He's trying to see where she is. And apparently there was another phone booth that was hidden from his view when he was inside his own phone booth, but it was like right across the street. So mm -hmm. he's like, huh, I wonder why she was so scared. And this, you know, the cigarette's got this weird blue arrow on it because it's one, it's a cigarette that doesn't have filters, which makes no sense. Why would you do that? But anyway, um, so yeah, it's very strange. It's a very strange opening, but all you kind of glean from this is that she's in trouble and she's calling him to ask for help. And of course it's Joseph Gordon Lovett. So he's got this super cool way of like being it, it, it very sensitively casual mm -hmm. about things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He has a very nonchalantness about his, you know, desire to to help her, but uh, he is interested in helping her. So we're going to go back to school. And uh, one of his friends there, uh, his friend's name is Brain, which is a good name. He's played by Matt O'Leary, but he's kind of sitting down, has a, a stack of like books and notebooks in there. And um, Brendan, you know, is talking to him and he says, I need to get Emily's locker number. Uh, she needs help. I don't know what she what she's doing. So he's going to kind of go around the school and try to see if you can put this together. So uh, we meet Kara. She's there. She's in the uh, theater department, kind of sitting in the auditorium. He goes in. Uh, you get the uh, impression that they used to be an item or uh, had at least had some good times together. Uh, but, you know, she might know where Emily is, but she's not going to say where she is. Um, but it does kind of lead us to the next clue uh, because Brennan goes, you know, back into the dressing room of this theater and he finds a... A note for or an invitation to this Halloween party and the same uh, kind of paper had been used in Emily's notebook that he got out of her locker. So. Right. Yeah, it's it's weird because Kara is this um, stunning theater person and so she's in, we see her a couple of times and she's in this exchange between the two of them, she keeps kind of trying to flirt with him and he is not interested in that at all. He just wants to know where Emily is and uh, but she keeps saying, hey, do you want to come back in the fold? You know, I could really use you and you don't really know what that's about. Um, but it seems very nefarious. Like she sees it's it's kind of the speakeasy theater apparently is the speakeasy of high school, Brian. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a number at the bottom of that 
invitation. Brennan calls the number. He ends up talking to someone um, that, and he says, hey, you know, I want to get in. And he mentions Emily's name. And uh, this person goes ahead and lets him know where the party is. Apparently it's at a humongous mansion, which apparently people live in. Uh, Normal people live in those things in California. (laughs) Um, But it's this weird um, mansion that is full of like people dressed up because it's, I guess, a Halloween in January party, Um, which of course it it doesn't look like January because we're in California. So everything's still green and lush. So it kind of throws you off. Yeah, it um, really kind of... reminds you that this is supposed to be like this uh, film noir kind of thing because you go in and it's this high school uh, Halloween party. So uh, some of the kids are dressed up, but they're very like, like classically like costumed, like you'd see like in a like in an old old film. The kids are all drinking like wine and champagne. They're like sitting around this piano, like playing the piano, Um, you know, a Brendan walks through, he pours himself a glass of whiskey as he's kind of going through. But uh, we meet another one of these players here, uh, and that is Laura. She's there at the party. She's the one kind of sitting at the piano, uh, you know, just serenading the party. Uh, but they end up going off kind of on on their uh, on their own into the separate room. And he asks Laura if she knows where Emily's been. Um, and she Again, uh, you kind of get the feeling that these people all know where Emily has been, but no one wants to say anything. Uh, but she does let it slip. Uh, another clue: a coffee and pie. Uh, and yeah, I guess that keeps the uh, keeps the story going there. That's the uh, that's the next stop. Yeah, and it's, it's a weird exchange between uh, Laura and Brennan um, because he's really just trying to understand uh, where she is. And it's worth saying that he has seen uh, Laura and another gentleman. I think his name is Brad. Um, they are both considered creme de la creme, like cream of the crop of the school. They make, they come from very wealthy families. He's like a star football player. Um, she drives a really nice uh, convertible. Um, you know, they're like the the top most popular people at school. People, everybody knows who they are. Um, but Emily was not one of those people. And according to Brain you know, she started to try and hang out with them and, you know, it didn't, it wasn't really going well. And, um, and now, and now Emily's like, oh, I, or now Laura's like, I don't know where she is. I haven't seen her in a long time. So it's very strange. Um, so of course, Brennan glutton for punishment, he goes to this, this storefront. It's like a coffee shop, but it looks super run down. Um, Mm -hmm. and these, it's worth noting that this was taking place. Um, this was filmed in San Clemente, uh, which is actually Ryan Johnson's hometown. And mm. uh, so Coffee and Pie was a, was, a, was a different restaurant, but it has since been completely abandoned. And you're not surprised because it does not look great. Um, of course, most, most of what we see is the dumpsters in the back um, where a bunch of people hang out. I don't know why you'd want to do that, um, but they're not doing, they're, they're up to no good back there. Um, so Brennan sees a guy named Dode. That's a very interesting name. And he's yeah. like, you know, your typical like tough guys, he's wearing all black and he's got black hair and he's totally um, not in his right place. I would say he is, he is impaired in some way. Right. Yeah. He's got, yeah. he's, he's been doing some, some, some sort of drug. The and, things, the things you do by dumpsters <laughs> out back of coffee shops, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there's like a whole group of them and they're start to pick on Brennan and they're like, what's, what are you doing here? And and I love 
I love this character so much because he just doesn't ever back down. And, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's perfect. Like he's super tall, he's lanky. He's got these, he's wearing these little glasses and he takes them off every and puts them in like a case every time he knows he's about to enter into a fight because Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to break his glasses, (laughs) but he doesn't ever give up. Like he just keeps standing up. And he has this really great way of talking to these guys because he's, you know, there's, they're starting to pick on him and Dode is like, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt you and leave me alone. And he's like, I got all five senses and I slept last night. So I've got six on the lot of you. Like you you, you should stop. And so, you know, Dode kind of gets smacked around a bit by Brennan. Uh, He says, uh, you know, I wanted to hear from her. I I haven't heard from her, Um, but that's Dode. (laughs) That, yeah, that's Dode. And it kind of ends dope. with him, with him, like you said, saying, you know, uh, you won't tell me where Emily is. That's fine. Tell her that, you know, I want to hear from her. I want to talk to her today. Uh, so he apparently does tell her because they end up back at school. Uh, Brennan's there at the at the football field and you see her kind of walking, walking across. And uh, Emily is played by Emily de Raven, who's from Lost. Um, uh, if she looks familiar, because that's where she's from. And uh, oh, so, yeah, Claire, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that's oh. right. Claire, from, Claire from Lost. But yeah, so she comes out and uh, they're talking and, you know, she's uh, she's kind of leading the conversation. She's like, you know, sorry, I sounded pretty crazy on the phone yesterday. Don't worry about it. Um, I just came here to talk to you to say goodbye uh, for good. We're done. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. You know, leave me alone. Let, you know, let this thing kind of drop. Um, but kind of in the in the uh, midst of this conversation uh, going on, uh, Brendan manages to kind of swipe her notepad, um, which is going to, you know, send him off on some more clues. So, you know, kind of this whole thing right now is just about him kind of following this trail of breadcrumbs that he's getting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this scene is really, it's so beautifully shot this film. And I'm going to talk a lot about that um, because I think that this school is really interesting it's a real high school that it was filmed at and he has lunch i mean everybody talks about lunch there's there's not a lot of other adults i think we see um like one parent and and like an assistant principal and that is it those are the only adults we see in this entire film everybody Mm -hmm. else is in is supposed to be a student in high school he is eating lunch out in the back of this school and there's just this brilliant shot where he is kind of laying down on top of this brick wall and he sees her and she's probably a football field uh, distance away. And he immediately just jumps up and starts running Mm -hmm. to get her. And it's, it's a very poignant scene. You don't see them actually meet um, and, and, and connect, but you can tell he was just very worried and he was glad that he got to see her. And so the next scene is, you know, she's trying to explain to him that, you know, they broke up for a reason. She really did love him, but, you know, she has decided to go and be off with these people and it's her choice. And I kind of feel like this is something from like a dare commercial almost because it's (laughs) pretty obvious. She has decided to go hang out with these people who are really into drugs. Um, and he's not, and he is trying to say, you know, Hey, this isn't good for you. This is not going to end well. Like, stay and she's saying no this is my life now I really like this these are my friends you know be nice to Dode he's a good guy and you know Brennan's like what Dode he's like a he's the rat of the coffee and pie 
place. Like, are you kidding me? And so, you know, she just wanted to say goodbye and say, look, this is my new life. You just need to leave me alone. And um, yeah, it's weird though, because in her notepad, there's this weird looking signal. It looks kind of like an A and it Mm -hmm. says, you know, midnight. And so he is racking his brain for the next few hours, trying to figure out what that could possibly mean um, because he'd like to go there and see what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. He finds this, uh, this little, uh, this little a symbol uh, with midnight in her, uh, in her notepad. So he, he's at home laying in bed. He calls brain and is asking him about it. And he's like, well, they use these symbols. So that way they don't have to say out loud where these meetings and things are taking place. So that way they can, you know, kind of have some uh, deniability if, you know, something goes wrong, but he kind of puts the pieces together and realizes that this A is this kind of drainage tunnel kind of thing. Um, And it's the same one that we saw at the beginning of the film. And that catches us back up to where that, you know, kind of opening shot was. So yeah. Uh, he gets he gets to this uh, drainage tunnel and uh, she's already there. So that that kind of catches it up. It's very similar to um, if you watched uh, American Hustle with us, where it kind of starts like in the middle of the movie and then it catches up to it and keeps going. So that's kind of what happens here. But yeah, we're basically back at the at the start of the film now when he gets to right. this tunnel and he finds uh, Emily uh, there, you know, already already uh, dead. Yeah, and it's. It's really heartbreaking because he just kind of is watching her and there's these beautiful shots. In fact, the front of the cover of the film is her arm kind of laying in this water and she's got these really interesting looking kind of blue bangles on her wrist and it's just really beautifully shot. Um, Very, very film noir, but it's not, it's not because it's in color in, in 2015, but it's really cool. He ends up, uh, Brennan is, ends up going back uh, to um, the school and meeting with Brain. And um, he, you know, this exchange between the two of them, because Brain's, you know, it's early in the morning, it's like 6 a.m. And they're still talking about some school stuff because he's like, what are you doing here? Do you have zero hour? Which was a thing. And uh, he says, no, my, the bus comes really early and it's the only bus that take that goes on my street. And so, and he's like, are you okay? Cause did you find Emily? And he doesn't really say it, but he's, he's got bruises all over him from his, from his uh, moment with uh, Dode. And he's just looking down and he's like, I can't, I don't think I'm going to be able to let this go. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, she's gone and I don't, I don't think I'm, I don't think it's in me to let it go. And so Brain says something I think very telling and he says, can you fix it? Can you help her? And he says, no. He says, well, can you knock some teeth in and find out the truth? And he says, yeah, I bet I, I, bet I could do that. And so Brain is in, um, which is interesting because I guess they're friends, but Brain is, um, was really instrumental in helping uh, Brennan find out some dirt on another person uh, named Jer, who I guess was the original kind of druggie that Emily got into and got with before, um, mm-hmm. got involved with. And so that's one of the reasons why Emily and Brennan broke up was because he used Brain to help rat this guy out. So Brain's really good at finding information and keeping uh, like a low profile at school. Uh, he's kind of, he, he's played really beautifully, right? And he's kind of got these, you know, 
kind of nerdy glasses and he's always mm-hmm. in a library somewhere. And, um, but then like now the chase is on. So Brandon's like, we can only meet in, uh, the, you know, secret. We, you know, do we have a cell phone? <laughs> like that's a big deal. Cause it's 2005. No right. one has those, but the chase he- is on because Brennan is going to find out what happened to his love. Yeah. So he needs, he needs to find out. So that's, so that's kind of the time I guess Brendan is going to, you know, tell him about this phone conversation that they'd had a couple of days ago. And that's when he kind of, you know, rattles off this string of just random words that, um, that Emily had said over the phone. So, you know, brick, bad brick, tug, you know, tug sounds like it could be milk and vodka, uh, pin, uh, a name, but, you know, he's just, uh, you know, telling him, these kind of kind of words and you know brain's just kind of sitting there thinking about it he's making sense of this thing that's very nonsensical and you don't really know how he comes to these conclusions but uh basically it gets him uh to to the point where uh you know there's the this pin which i assume is probably short for like kingpin that's running this uh, kind of a drug organization that uh is what brennan needs to go and figure out and he needs to figure out how to kind of infiltrate, I guess, this little uh, drug ring and, uh, you know, make some sense of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's a legend, right? That brain is talking to him about that. You know, if you knock over four or five, if you, you know, connect the dots of four or five different dealers, they always say they got it from someone. And if you ask enough people, eventually you get to the pin. And so we know that Brad and Laura are both selling drugs at the high school and they're big sellers because they're, they're, they've, they've got connections. So, um, you know, Brennan's great idea is to go and pick a fight with Brad and see if someone notices. Right. Um, and so it's this great kind of high school fight in the middle of the parking lot Mm -hmm. that goes pretty badly. I mean, Brennan's not a fighter. Um, and Brad is kind of big and, um, but he doesn't give up, right? Mm-hmm. Just yeah, puts he, his uh, glasses away. He, he, he puts his glasses him. away and gets into the fight and uh, does his best. But I guess he learned what he needed to learn from it. He knows that you know Brad's not really involved with this, with this you know kind of big group sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, but Brad's girlfriend Laura, who we'd met at the Halloween party, uh, she follows Brennan out of there, um, and she is asking him if if she can help her. And uh, basically, the gist of it is that. He says, I can't trust you because you're dating Brad and I know that you're just using him. So that means if I let you help me, you're just going to use me too. Uh, so I can't trust you. So, you know, stay out of this. Uh, I'm going to do this on my own. Uh, but that's not good because about that time he gets jumped by some guy in a white hat. So that's not great. This is the scene where um, they didn't have a lot of special effects. This film was only, this film was made on about $450,000 and it made 10 times that. Um, so it's a huge success that way, but it didn't have a lot of money for special effects. And one of the things that I really love about this particular scene is how, um, once again, Brendan doesn't ever get, you know, he, he gets knocked out, but he keeps in life. He just keeps getting back up. But the scene makes it look like the, the guy's moving a lot faster than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's like this kind of shorter. He definitely looks shorter and he, he's got this white hat. He's got a white tank top thing on and like some baggy jeans and he looks really really mad 
<laughs> he does, he does look really mad and and he gets a jump on Brennan. Uh, you know, gives him a sucker punch and gets out of there. But and by the time you know Brennan picks himself up off the ground, you know this guy's gone. So uh, he goes he goes in to talk to the principal, uh, who I guess is very much kind of like your. Um, kind of like a, I guess they'd be like the police sergeant in this kind of story kind of thing mm-hmm. where, you know, Brendan's kind of like the police informant, I guess. And, and this guy's made to be like kind of the police chief, but he's the vice principal. Um, and basically they're having this conversation. He's like, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this thing. I just need you to, you know, lay off my back. Let me, let me do this thing. You can't come down on me too hard. And they kind of come to like a gentleman's agreement on it, uh, which, you know, the, vice principal is going to end up kind of turning his back on uh later in the film but it's kind of this weird scene where they're where they're in the office and they're like i said they're talking to each other like you know kind of their uh uh quid pro quo uh kind of thing kind of thing going on totally i mean again this script is so interesting to me because they really do have one of those like book me or not you know if you've got something on me then book me only it's i'll see you at the parent teacher conference like leave me alone or call my mom it's so funny um exactly yeah so so he has this meeting with with the with the vice principal and then he goes back out into the parking lot and we see the black mustang that sports car from the beginning of the film so uh he's going over there uh, Brennan's like looking into the window. He gra- he grabs like this big cement block and he has it held over his head. And about that time, you see the kid that had jumped him uh, in the previous scene in the white hat. His name's a tug, but you see him. He's just kind of running out <laughs> at him, just walking towards him. And, you know, Brennan just kind of puts the puts the uh, the cinder block down and uh, gets his glasses put away because he knows he's about ready to uh, get beaten up again. And uh, that's what happens. He uh, he gets it uh gets it pretty bad there uh by this kid tug tug jumps into the into the car drives off um you know and eventually kind of turns around and you know is just barreling right towards brennan but uh you know joseph gordon levy he's cool as a cucumber he just kind of stands there and the mustang goes you know just by him um and you know tug gets out and uh brennan just says i want to see the pin i guess he'd ruffled enough feathers that he uh thinks he's good to get a sit down with this guy now so yeah yeah, because he just doesn't give up. Even when he's got him like down on the ground, and he opens a car door. It looks like you know, and he's still kind of reaching up, like I'm still <laughs> here, I'm still here. Um, so funny. Um, I mean, this is—I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but I laugh. Um, so it's time for us to. Uh, so we've met Tug, and that was like a code word. That was a word that was used uh, when Emily was talking to him for the last time. Uh, we are gonna go and meet the pin. And this is a great scene. So the black Mustang uh, drives all around uh, town. It's, you know, he, he's he been put in the trunk, right? Brennan has, yeah. but mm-hmm. the trunk keeps opening up on its own. Um, it is not an amazing uh, piece of machinery, I guess. So he, uh, he can see clearly where he is being taken. Um, but he's not supposed to know anything. And so he ends up going to this old kind of rundown kind of 80s style house. And the only thing really of note is that there's like an eagle attached to the mailbox yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that looks like it's like lead or brass or something. Um, and so, you know, he gets drugged down into the basement and we finally get to meet this, this uh, notorious pin character. 
Yeah, that's right. So uh, Penn is played by Lucas Haas, uh, who's pretty great. I think he was in like Inception and stuff. Um, but uh, really good, uh, really good at kind of playing this uh, this high school uh, kingpin kind of thing. The basement is awesome because it's like this wood paneled kind of thing. He has this little tiny desk um, with like a key, it's got like a little fishbowl on with it. Like a, like a little typewriter and stuff. Uh, it's, it's really great. But, uh, so he has the meeting with him. Um, you know, Tug is there. He's, he's very agitated. He's very agitated all the time. Um, but someone else is there and that's Laura, the girl from the party. And, you know, the girl that was dating Brad that wanted to help, but you know, she's there of course. And, you know, she offers to drive Brennan home after, uh, this meeting takes place. So I don't, Brendan, I don't know if he got, very much out of the meeting, but he at least figured out who the pin was, where he lives, who are kind of the players in this organization. So uh, he's making some inroads, I guess. So yeah, he's, he's back to school and, you know, still trying to kind of put the pieces together to, you know, figure out how to, how he's going to, I guess, lay his trap for everyone. Right. Well, there's a great scene in here where we meet, um, Pin's mom because Pin is like 24 years old and living in his mom's basement and yep. apparently he's some big drug runner but um we meet his mom and she's like uh amazing she's beautifully played um yeah she uh she's played, she's played by, by Reedy, Reedy Reedy Gibbs Reedy Gibbs and uh she's amazing where he's there it they're in the kitchen and this is a real kitchen. It's not a bread and breakfast where they filmed it. And um, she's like, would you like some apple juice or orange juice? And like the pins over across the table, trying to look all menacing with tug behind him. And uh, you <laughs> he's know, got like a cane. <laughs> he's got a cane. Well, he has a limp of some kind. So we don't know what's, you know, if he's hurt his leg or something, or if, or if he was born that way, but he's like always walking around with his cane looking all goth. He's in like this, everything he has is like all black and dark and oh it's so it's it's really some a stroke of dark comedy because it's it's pretty funny because at the end of the day he you know brendan's just a high school kid who's gonna need a ride home because he doesn't have his own car you know (laughs) and so um but the idea is the pin is pretty impressed with how he uh how he's kind of figured out who who's who um in the drug world at least and says well you know in by tomorrow we're either going to have offered you a job where you're going to be on the take for us or um we're going to kill you so i guess we'll find out tomorrow and so <laughs> he leaves um and uh and he goes uh laura uh, gives him a ride and they she tries to talk him up a little bit more and he seems really hesitant to let her help um mm-hmm. because she she's just looks like she's bad news, man. Anybody can see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, she gets him home and then the next day he's back at school, right? He's waiting to, I guess, find out if he's uh, going to get killed by Penn or get a job from Penn. But uh, he's asking around. He's still trying to find out where Dode went. He still wants to talk to Dode, I guess, about uh, Emily. Uh, but we'll see him at, the lo- at his locker and he gets a note and it's the same intersection um, and the same time as as before, right? Whatever the intersection was like 1230. So uh, he's kind of looking at this note. And about that time, uh, this crazy guy with a knife comes and tries to stab him. And that's not good. So you think, well, this isn't, this probably didn't go that well. So Penn sent this guy to kill him. So he just takes off running. Uh, It's actually a really great scene. The sound's really good because there isn't any sound other than 
uh, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like feet, like clomping through this thing. Uh, but he eventually kind of gets around this corner and hides and trips this guy. Uh, and the guy goes headfirst into this lamp pole. Um, it, just in time for uh, the pin to show up and pick him up and offer him a job. And this scene is probably my, my favorite in the whole film because they're, they're in this car and it looks like it's like a limousine. Cause there's like a desk and like a little chandelier hanging like inside of the, inside of the car. Um, and they go, they're having this conversation and then they like pull back up to the school and they open the door and it's this tiny, tiny little like red van. <laughs> so yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah. It's so tiny that Joseph Gordon Levitt is like, like hunkered down in the front of the, of it while he's like <laughs> looking at the, the pin who's like eloquently, you know, very, very languishing in his, mm-hmm. in his kind of limo seat in the back with a, with a lamp that rivals the leg lamp from the Christmas story. I mean, it is, it's got fringe. It's got that. It's, it's the same decor. You know, <laughs> it's just everything there is like covered in velvet. It's ridiculous. It's, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, so he, they go to the beach right and tug or sorry the pin tries to Mm -hmm. have a conversation with brendan about tug so tug is the this dude who uh keeps beating beating up (laughs) beating brendan up uh and he kind of laments uh his relationship with tug and he's like you know you're gonna work for me you're not gonna work for him uh tug's kind of losing his mind lately and he's getting very violent um and it's a real problem we've we've gotta we've gotta figure out uh, what to do in the future with that. He just kind of leaves it, leaves it to kind of hang in that way. Um, but it's good to see that the pin knows that, that tug is, is becoming more and more unhinged. And mm-hmm. he, he's just a guy who rather than thinks things through, he just uses his fist to, to get through any problem, which is the opposite of Brendan because he'll just get up and keep thinking. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. So you kind of laid out you know, what he wants him to do, I guess, with the, with the organization, but, you know, Brennan's ultimate plan here is to kind of get revenge on these people. Um, and he gets a phone call from brain. Who's telling him, uh, Hey, don't, you know, don't, don't come into school today. Uh, Emily was in the newspaper as being missing. Uh, the VP, the vice principal, he's cutting them loose. He, you know, can't, uh, can't allow him to, uh, you know, keep skipping class and, and do this. So I guess, I guess this is the film's way of implying that the pressure is on Brennan. He needs to get to the bottom of this thing uh, and do it quick. So uh, he, he still really needs to find Dode and that's what he's been trying to do now for a while. And he still hasn't had a chance to talk to him. Yeah. So um, he gets another note in his locker to go back to the phone booth that he was at at the beginning of the film when Emily first called him. Uh, so he is there, he's running there, the phone's ringing. Um, he ends up getting a call and, and it's, uh, a very angry man, a very angry person, uh, saying that, you know, he was seen where Emily's body was. And, um, what Brennan did do is when he got, uh, when he realized that he wanted to solve this case, um, is he went back and actually picked her body up and moved it further in to the tunnel so it wouldn't be found right away um, because he wanted to be able to find the, um, the, the culprit and to get to the truth before the cops do. And so this person tells him, you know, I saw you, I saw you carry her body. I saw you move it. Um, and I'm going to tell a whole bunch of people. And um, it's pretty obvious who that is. <laughs> um, yeah. It sounds a lot like Dode to me. Yeah, that's right. So uh, he gives him this phone call and then 
they do end up meeting. So they meet on the, on the same football field where he'd met Emily before, and they have kind of this conversation and we find out from Dode that Emily was pregnant and, you know, Dode believed it to be his, um, you know, it, of course, Brendan was not, you know, pleased at finding out this news, of course, but, uh, but that's kind of, you know, what the, what the situation was. So they end up going back to the tunnel and Penn and Tug are both there and, they have kind of a confrontation and we find out that Emily was the love interest of all of these guys, basically. Right. So she was, she was uh Brendan's love interest. Uh, Dode was in love with her. He thinks that, you know, her, uh, you know, the child she was carrying was his uh, tug was apparently also in love with her. Um, and he thought that the child was his and uh, it escalates pretty quickly. Um, and tug, not one for uh, cool heads, uh, pulls out a gun, shoots Dode in the head. Uh, not good. Uh, not, not good. good, not good for Penn, not good for Brendan, not good for anyone. Cause he's, he's completely come on a hinge now at this point. Yeah, no. And it turns out Doe was just wanting, he wanted the pin. Um, he wanted to tell the pin what was going on because he wanted to get paid. And Brendan's trying to figure this out because Doe, you know, he cared about Emily, but I guess not so much as he really wanted to make out with some serious cash and who better than to try and get it from a drug Lord, like the pin. Um, so they're, they're trying to negotiate this, but, you know, Dode's just angering Tug more and more by saying things like, you know, she was pregnant and, you know, it's it, the father was going to get involved and it's really close to you, the, you know, pin. And, and so Tug just totally loses it. Luckily at that point, well, at that point, the pin decides, you know, uh, I don't want to die today. So he kind of leaves Tug uh, with his gun and Brendan, who is, you know, passing out a lot. Um, he's passed out a couple of times um, because he keeps getting beat up and he's not looking great, right? Um, he's been spitting up a lot of blood. You think he probably broke a couple ribs um, because he keeps getting beat up by these people. And uh, so Brennan just totally passes out um, while they're having this showdown in the middle of this tunnel. Yeah, Brendan, Brendan looks a little worse for wear. He looks a little bit more worse every time you see him. But yeah, he ends up passing out. So uh, we'll see him kind of in the next scene. He's wake. He's waking up at Tug's place. Uh, they have a little bit of a conversation about, um, you know, Tug needing to calm down. We need to de-escalate this thing. Um, you know, Brennan says, let me go talk to Penn. I can, you know, negotiate kind of a, a peace treaty. Uh, you know, you guys can go your own separate ways and uh, that'll be that. So that's kind of uh, what his idea is. So he goes and sees Penn, talks to him and he agrees to, you know, have this sit down with Tug and they can kind of, you know, split up the business or whatever they're going to do to, to kind of go their own way. Laura's there, of course, again, and she takes him home and she ends up crawling into bed with the passed out uh, Brendan. Um, it, you know, no, nothing's happening. She's just kind of there, I guess, for moral support. But when he wakes up, uh, she's smoking a cigarette and she kind of leans over real cool, like over top of him and, and puts it in this ashtray that's on his uh, bedside table. Um, but there's something a uh, little, a uh, little different, a little familiar about this cigarette that she was smoking. That's right. It's got a blue arrow on it, letting you know which way to smoke it because it doesn't have a filter, which looks a lot like the cigarette that he saw flicked out of the black Mustang at the beginning of the film. And so, you know, they kind of share a kiss. Laura's, I don't know, it's kind of gross, the scene to me, because Brennan's obviously really distraught. He's not feeling well, and he's 
crying over the loss of the love that he had um, for Emily and he's just really upset and she thinks this is a great time to like try and kiss him I think it's really manipulative and you know I never liked Laura anyway so um, I really don't like it now that I see that the cigarette is um, probably hers so he wakes up uh, she's still asleep um, he is leaving and he goes and says goodbye to Tug and says, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to schedule a meeting. We're going to, you know, come to terms with you and the pin. And we're just going to leave as amiable enemies instead of uh, start a real war because there's a lot of people that could get hurt and it's not a good idea. But mm-hmm. he does ask Tug, he says, You know, where do you have any, do you have a cigarette? And Tug said, I don't smoke. And so even though it was Tug's car that we definitely saw, it wasn't Tug. So Brennan, um, kind of resigns himself to that. He goes and uh, sets up this meeting. Laura really tries to get him to not go. She says, it's a bad idea. And he says, no, I'm going to go. I need to make sure that it sorts itself out, uh, that it, you know, that it happens correctly. And that, um, and she says, okay, well, you know, uh, that's fine. So then she, she stays where she's at and Brennan calls brain and asks him to make sure that Laura, you know, to tail Laura and make sure that she stays or that, you know, she's followed um, because he has a feeling that some something big is going to happen at this big meeting. So the meeting occurs. The meeting is in Pin's basement. It's <laughs> yeah. covered with, um, oh, brown shag carpeting and all that wood paneling. And there's a bunch of people outside, um, like a bunch of the, pu- the Pins kind of, uh, yeah, it's, bodyguards it's, and stuff, right? Yeah, it's very much like if you watch like old like mobster movies and stuff where they have these meetings, they all take their entire entourage of people in case things go south. But um, some important stuff happens kind of on the way to this meeting. So as you'd said, he calls Brain and he basically is setting this up. You'll see him. He actually you know puts Emily's body into the trunk of this Mustang, uh, which he's which he's going to be driving. He'd ask Tug if he could take take the car, and Tug lets him, but. Um, you know, he's, he's basically having brain get the police to get there at such and such a time to look in the trunk for drugs is what he says. Um, so, you know, they'll find Emily's body. Um, you know, all of these people are going to, you know, get set up for, you know, causing her murder and, uh, dealing drugs and all this stuff. So he's kind of, he's basically gotten, you know, these two groups of, uh, warring drug factions together so he could, uh, tip off the police and get them in there to to arrive. But yeah, they get in and the meeting starts. It, like you said, it's in the in the basement and the things are getting a little bit tense. And you know, kind of before things can you know kind of finalize, I guess you'll hear. Um, I think it's like some gunshots outside and some yelling and stuff. And you don't really know what's going on because it's just the three of them in this room. Right. Yeah. So there were originally ten bricks. Okay, there were 10 bricks that the pin had gotten and he was able to sell eight of them really easily. Um, He sold them at wholesale. And so there were two left. One went missing and then it went missing for a day or two. And then it got it came back and it was seemingly unscathed. But a gentleman uh, by the name of Frisco um, ended up taking a skim off of it and the the drugs that I guess it's heroin. Um, the heroin was cut with something else that was even more deadly than heroin. And so uh, this guy ends up in a coma. And so it's a really, they can't use that brick anymore. So they've lost 
all that money of whatever, however much a brick of heroin was going to be. I'm guessing it's a lot. Um, and that is what um, Emily was, you know, apparently feeling like she was uh, going to be blamed for. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there was a 10th brick. And so the part of the, this, kind of coming to terms discussion between the pin and tug was tug would assure that if anything ever happened and dode or the girl um ever you know their murders ever came to fall on anybody it would fall on tug the pin and brennan would have would not be involved um but then the pin says what's you know you're gonna pay for um you're gonna owe me for some some of the drugs that you took off me and i want you to help me um with this 10th brick And, you know, they talk about, hey, I want you to test it because, you know, the tug had been his kind of right hand man for a long time. So he had the ability to, uh, you know, do the same thing that was happened that happened with the ninth brick to the Mm -hmm. 10th brick. And so he wanted to make sure that the drugs within the brick were um, still, I guess, good and not going to kill anybody um, or cause comas or whatever and not be. um, So the, the. he, the pin said, you know, Tug, I need you to take a skim off of this and see if if it's going to be good. And of course, Tug refuses. Um, and so Brendan steps up and he says, I'll do it. You know, just go, go get the drugs, just go get the brick. And of course, that's when he ca- he tells the pin, tells his cronies to go look for the brick. It's supposed to be in the room next door in this really dark uh, room in the basement and it Mm -hmm. is not there. And that's when we hear a bunch of gunshots and a bunch of people freaking out because they're like, holy moly, where is this 10th brick? It's gone. Um, And Brennan doesn't look that surprised, but it's a real big problem. So pin the pin and tug start to argue. And of course, tug loses his temper and, um, you know, Tug has a gun, but he kind of throws it on the ground as he's trying, trying to fight the pin. Um, and of course, this is when Brennan sees his chance. He picks up the gun and he walks very slowly out of the room. It looks, it sounds like there's a bunch of commotion going up upstairs, a bunch of gunshots. And then there mm-hmm. seems to be silence. Um, all you can hear is the pin calling out for Brendan for help. And of course, Brendan is not going to help because he's the reason that Emily got into this mess. And um, But what he does do right before um, he runs out is throw kind of the gun on the floor back into the room. And so, mm-hmm. you know, give Pin the opportunity to um, to shoot at Tug if he wanted to. But it's a beautiful scene because they're fighting and there's a lot of amazing things that this that the director does with lighting in this film mm-hmm. to like light up rooms. Um, but in, in this fight, you know, it looks like one of them ends up punching uh, the other one and the light kind of moves from one side of the room to the other before going completely black. And it's mm-hmm. just amazing the way that that choreography worked. I really liked it. Um, but Brennan's yeah, it, figured this whole thing out, right? Yeah. It, it's really cool. And like you said, the, the light, it, because then by the time Brennan kind of gets out of this room and he's backing up down the hallway, the light in the room, the tug and pin were in goes completely out so it's just like completely black and he slides the gun into this into this void but yeah he knew all this stuff was going to happen and he knows that the police are about ready to be there so uh he gets out of out of a window and gets gets gone you know before the the police show up um and his plan basically went through uh just as you know he sort of imagined that it was going to so um uh, 
you know, sort of uh, end a story there. Um, but it's not the end of the story, really, because, you know, Pin and Tug, they were bad. Uh, they did bad things. But I, there was someone kind of the uh, ringleader of all of these bad things that happened. So uh, we're going back one more time to the football field. And Brennan's there. And Laura is kind of the only player left in this uh, story. So she's, uh, you know, there to meet him. And they have one last conversation. And in any good, you know, a kind of film noir crime drama kind of thing, there's always some twist. And uh, this is it. Yep. So Laura, you know, and I just want to say, Laura always looks like she's in the 1940s. Like everybody else is 2005. But Laura always has these long flowy skirts and these heels that look like they're little kitten heels. Um, in this, in this particular film, she looks especially beautiful. She's got this fascinator thing on the side of her head. Who did that in 2005? I don't know. Her name is Laura. <laughs> I guess that's who does it, but she looks especially like very mysterious. And she's got the, you know, she's, she's perfect. Um, the actress is perfect, right, for this role because she's got that mm -hmm. beautiful bone structure in her cheek. She's just very 1940s, mysterious, um, you know, femme fatale, right? And so they they meet up on the field. She says, I'm so happy you're okay. Did you end up going? And of course, Brendan denies that he was even there. He says, no, I wasn't there. But, you know, what happened? And she says, oh, six people are dead, like three kind of goons, um, you know, uh, there was a girl in the trunk. The girl was found in the trunk. Um, Tug and the pin, they both kind of killed each other at the bottom of this basement. And I'm so glad you weren't there. I'm, I'm, and she, you know, is hugging on him and giving him, you know, kisses. And he's like, yeah, I mean, too bad it's not over. And she's like, what do you mean? And so then he he says, it was, it was you the whole time. And um, at first she denies it. And then she kind of asks him, says, you know, tell me, tell me how you think I did this. And so he does. He said, you know, you um, knew and saw the opportunity when Emily came to you, you know, a month or two ago, you knew that, you know, you could use her and you helped, you were the one who took the ninth brick and you hid it away and you poisoned it and you either did it on purpose or you did it accidentally. It doesn't really matter but you knew that it would all fall on her and you um, told her to tell Tug that, you know, he was, that she was pregnant with his baby because you knew it would enrage him and you knew that he, that she would get killed. And at first she's, you know, he's kind of holding her by the bat, by her hair almost, but there's this mm. really beautiful close-up frame where you, you know, he's telling her all these horrible things, but you think they, they just might kiss, like they're super close together. Yeah. And, She's denying it and a single tear is kind of coming down her eye and she's like, no, that's not true. And he's like, well, good. I'm really glad because I wrote a letter um, in case anything happens to him, probably. Where he's like, I wrote a letter having them search your locker and they're probably going to find the 10th brick. Right. And if you're and if I'm wrong, then they won't find that because you had nothing to do with it. And um, she knows that the game is up because that's exactly what happens. The assistant principal goes ahead and uh, uh, calls the authorities. And what do they find in her locker? But a brick of white stuff that can only be the heroin yeah. brick for, uh, that was lost. Um, it, it, yeah, it can, it can be only that for sure. But 
yeah, he eventually, you know, got to the bottom of it. Laura was kind of the, well, she wasn't necessarily the ringleader, I guess, of the, of the crime ring, but she was kind of pulling the strings of all these guys. Now you mentioned um, earlier when they were kind of in bed and, you know, that you thought it, you know, <laughs> she was, uh, you know, trying to kiss them and that that was kind of her game, right? She could just get one up on all of these guys. Like you said, she's very much a femme fatale, right? She had all these guys kind of wrapped around her finger yeah. um, and, and could could do that. But, uh, you know, Brennan wasn't falling for it. And, uh, you know, he he got the best of her in the end. And, uh, you know, and this is and this is uh, this is kind of where things wrap up. She goes because she needs to go be there i guess at the locker when they when they search it and, and find this brick and then you just have kind of um it's 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 really great it's so much good scene composition but you have brennan he's kind of standing in the the forefront watching her go um and it's just kind of tight on him and you'll see brain kind of walk in behind him i don't know yep. 20 yards or so behind him and you know it, he says something and um brennan just says you did good brain go to sleep and, yeah yeah and that and and that's it well, there is one thing that Laura still has on him, right? And at the very end, it's the only thing she can think of to get back at Brennan. And what she did say is, you know, um, yeah, Emily was pregnant, but she was really sad because she wasn't going to keep it because she didn't love the father. And it turns out that Emily was three months pregnant, um, which can really only mean one thing. And that uh, none of these people that she had apparently been with that, that thought they could have fathered the baby were the father. And yeah. so she does, um, you know, whisper uh, something bad, something, uh, a very not nice word in his ear before she leaves. And it pretty much confirms that Brendan was the dad of this baby who's, you know, now dead. And um, he's, you know, kind of looking off when brain is there and he does say, you know, you've done good. Uh, now, now we can go to sleep. And what's interesting is you, there is no aftermath after this, right? So the scene, he kind of starts to move and you think that maybe something else is going to happen. Like they're going to mm -hmm. walk together kind of like at the end of Casablanca um, or, you know, at the end of um, Chinatown. <laughs> um, but that doesn't happen. That quintessential kind of long range view walk of somebody kind of walk in their own way that doesn't mm -hmm. seem to happen it just cuts and yeah. then a uh, rock song comes on and it says written and directed by ryan johnson and uh and that's the end yeah and uh, you know the end is very uh we, you know we've mentioned it a couple of times you know these film noir uh kind of private eye tales and that's how you know a lot of those ended too right there's no real resolution for the the protagonist in this it just kind of does this thing and it ends right their life is you know no different or any better from you know kind of going through this this tale they're just kind of narrating this uh story more or less for the audience but yeah that's how it ends and that is uh brick hopefully we we kept it together it made made sense because it's a lot of like you said it, you know pin and brick and uh and the names and all these. there's only like two normal names in this whole film yeah yeah so so hopefully uh you made some sense of that but michaela uh tell me about brick now this was something you recommended that we covered because you really like the film so uh when did you you know see it the first time and uh, what are your thoughts about it you know having rewatched it here you know this week so I watched this film when it came out in 2005. Um, I'm pretty sure I watched it in a movie theater. Although thinking about it, um, I probably 
would have, I definitely would have put the subtitles on um, Mm -hmm. because of the way in which it's written, because they're not talking the way that we're describing them talking. They have a lot of different words for things that you as a, as an adult human probably could put two and two together uh, and figure it out. But it was, um, I remember being very shocked by the language and really having to listen very, very, very intently uh, to really understand what was going on at all. So full disclosure for that, if you're not, if you've not seen it and you're just into this deep dive for fun. Um, mm-hmm. But I absolutely loved this film. I was very surprised that it didn't get uh, some of the accolades that it, that, that it didn't. I, I think that it definitely should have gotten some sort of nod for the screenplay um, and the way in which the story was portrayed in 2005, because they could have easily turned this into a hard-boiled detective film and set it in the 50s and kind of brought that genre back. And maybe that would have opened up a whole bunch of different doors. But the fact that they chose a very young um audience of actors to play these parts and the fact that Mm -hmm. it was in high school um and the school itself plays its own character to this because you know nothing happens in school there's no school conversations there's no um you know there's not like you don't see a teacher you don't see a parent other than the pins mom serving orange juice and then this assistant principal um it's just, I just love this film. And I'm happy to see that it did get some accolades. I mean, like I said, it won the special jury prize uh, for Vision mm-hmm. at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, it's received a lot of positive reviews from critics. It is a cult classic and it made plenty of money. Um, I just wish more people would have seen it um, because when I talk to people a lot about films in the mid 2000s, um, this is not on a lot of people's radar. And to me, it should be because I think it's a really important film. Mm-hmm. How did yeah, you like it? Because you hadn't seen it either, right? Yeah, I, I'd never seen it. I'd never even really heard of it. But um, but yeah, you spoke really highly of it when I found out that Ryan Johnson did it. I mean, I, I really like Knives Out. I really like Looper. I really like The Last Jedi. So I was like, okay, that'll, that'll be good to kind of see where he started because this was his first, you know, kind of big, you know, full-blown uh, motion picture uh, that he did uh, here, and it's 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 such an interesting take on this uh, you know film noir uh, kind of gritty uh, private eye kind of story to set it in a high school with high school kids and to like you said kind of play this school almost as like a as like a character. Um, yeah, it's weird they don't they don't spend any time in school. I th- they're in the library, I think, in one scene. That's the only time like inside of the school that they they ever are there and right. in the, in the principal's office, you know, just, just briefly there, but um, yeah, it's, it's a really good setup. The, the dialogue is very fast paced and very, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's very, very quippy, I guess things mm-hmm. that, you know, very much, you know, just, just in that uh, same breath as a, a noir film for sure um this would be really cool to see in black and white i don't know if they ever did a black and white cut of it but but that would be that would be super cool but um you know one of the things uh about ryan johnson's films is they're just absolutely stunning to look at um michaela mentioned you know several of the scenes you know kind of the the big sweeping shots of the football field uh the tunnel the way that that's framed and looks on screen is great um you know, just a lot of these, a lot of these scenes and the set composition and stuff is fantastic. So yeah, this is a, a really good, really interesting film. So if you like kind of those old like detective 
films, this is one to check out, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's, it's really speaks to Ryan Johnson's just talent, right? Cause he apparently wrote this as a first, this screenplay as a first draft um, once he had graduated from uh, USC. Um, so, you know, this is something that like a 22 year old wrote. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I don't know. I, I really like it. And of course, Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's just gold. Um, I'm really glad to see, I, I love Looper as well. And I didn't know Ryan Johnson did Looper. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm glad to see that that, um, relationship between the Joseph Gordon and Ryan Johnson, at least solidified itself to do another film. Um, because I, you know, I think they work really well together. I like both of those. And I really like some of the choices that are, that Joseph Gordon-Levitt makes, um, or that that those characters show, and I don't know. I'd love to know more about how who makes those choices and how that relationship expands, um, or you know, elaborates on some of that, um, because th- those are really two very, you know, they play two very different characters, um, mm-hmm. but there's still some of that that gritty toughness um, that and that again that casually sensitive. Nobody does it quite like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's so good mm-hmm. where you yeah. know he's. So he doesn't really get emotional um, only a couple times in this film where he really even shouts or yells. Um, and it's, it's so powerful because he's so understated. It's great. It's yeah. great. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you uh, have seen brick and like brick, uh, let us know about it. Let us know when you watched it, what you thought about it, um, all that good stuff. If you decide to make yourself uh, milk and vodka, also known as a, What's it called? Uh, crystal clear milk punch. Uh, if you decide to go that route, uh, let us know about that. We want to see it and hear about it and see pictures of it. Um, so definitely tag us and all that stuff. And you can do that on our Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. Uh, if you want to see our crystal clear milk punch um, and kind of the pictures of me making it and you know, the recipe and episode recaps, all that good stuff. You can do that on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. Um, and you know, if you liked listening to us talk about this film from 2005 that we both really enjoyed, uh, you should probably leave us a review and subscribe. Michaela, where should they do that? You can find us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere where anchor podcasts are distributed. If you do like us, um, please subscribe because we have a lot of stuff coming out. We, we do two, uh, drops a week and, if uh, if you are so inclined, we'd really appreciate it if you leave us a five star review because it really helps us get the drink the movie stuff out there. Um, we've had a lot of uh, great friends and family and and fans send out uh, our stuff. We're really excited about the community we're building. Um, mm-hmm. We're excited about the drinkers that we're meeting on this journey as we uh, as we uh, go through all these amazing films. And uh, on that note, I feel really bad because my my tug punch is empty, Brian. Yeah. Well, that's not good. Luckily, I made enough you have of 16 gallons of I, there's there's a ton of the uh, clarified milk punch. So we can we can definitely make up another. So why don't we why don't we go do that? Because it is quite delicious and it's still hot out there, perfect on a hot day. Um, if you want something classy, and uh, I guess we better watch a movie for next week. Sounds good. Well, we'll see you next time. On drink. drink. The The movies. movies. Bad brick. Bad brick.